Hello! Welcome to the fifth episode of the 21cc podcast, brought to you by the Chartered Institute of Building. I'm Rod Sweet, editor of Global Construction Review. We've got a great episode for you. Although we're still in the foothills of artificial intelligence, some of construction's keenest minds are busy trying to work out what it's going to mean for the industry. They were on hand to compare notes at September's Digital Construction Summit, and Justin Stanton is here to bring you some of the highlights of that bracing exchange. Justin is 21cc's resident jargon buster too, so he's also here to shed light on one of the more recent management buzz phrases, optioneering. Moving to the human side of construction, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and CIOB People's Nadine Badu caught up with building surveyor Jeannie Ambrose, who kept working and studying after being diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. And she's glad she did. First, though, to warm us up to the topic of AI, how much would you trust a chatbot to help you run your construction project? Ex-Arab engineer Stephen Lukic developed such a helper, and CM's Christina Lago posed as a hard-bitten project manager to ask some basic questions, like, is it going to start hallucinating on me? ChatGPT, build me a school, and ideally, build it without rock. Sorry, I don't have the answer for that. Okay, ChatGPT might not be able to build schools yet. However, artificial intelligence has great potential to make the lives of construction and project managers much easier. That's the mission of Civil's AI, a new artificial intelligence tool developed by a team led by former Arup and Morgan Sindel civil engineer Stefan Lukic. Civil's AI uses a large language model similar to ChatGPT to generate answers tailored to construction projects. Stefan, can you tell me how your AI tool works? Do you talk to it like Siri or Alexa? Do you type questions into a box in your browser? What kind of answers can it give you? Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks very much for having me on, Christina. Um, so yeah, so we've developed an AI chatbot that can be trained on a construction project's documents. So let's say on a construction project, you have hundreds or thousands of documents. We can feed that into an AI that can then be chatted to with a text, a text uh, prompt, and you can get answers about all your documents. What kind of questions should we ask people's AI? Sure. So you can ask it, um, like, it's better with specific questions, like narrower questions. So let's say you're a project manager and you want to know when a specific deliverable needs to be uh, ready by, when you need to provide that to the client, you can ask it that and it will uh, tell you the date. Uh, You can also ask things like, you know, for a specific design element, like, foundations like what's the concrete thickness you need for the foundations and it's going to search through all of the documents that have been uploaded and find the answer for you and i understand that a problem with large language models like chat gpt or civil ai is something referred to as hallucinations uh, which happens when you ask one of these systems a question and it comes back with an answer that's totally wrong how can i tell that your tool is hallucinating uh, yeah, this is this is a, one of the other real big challenges with large language models. So what we do really with this is um, we've coded Civil's uh, AI to be like very strict in terms of um, its ability to hallucinate and its creativity. So um, you call this like the AI temperature. It's like a setting for how much creativity you want it to um, deliver. So we've set that extremely low. 
Um, and what that means is that if the information like very specific to answer your question isn't in the reports and the documents, it will not try to answer it at all. It will just say this information is not available in the reports or the documents. Um, you need to upload more information. And I suppose that the garbage in, garbage out principle applies here as well. Um, if I upload incorrect data, then the system is going to give me incorrect answers. So uh, how can I prevent that from happening and what kind of data quality checks is the system doing or should I be doing to avoid the garbage in, garbage out? I would say that there is, this is a typical problem, not just for AI software, but a problem for software in general. So um, if you imagine using Excel or some kind of design software and you mistype, then your calculation is going to be wrong. Um, Excel and other software doesn't try to tell you, hey, I think you mistyped here. Um, it will just give you the wrong answer. So this is this is a typical problem for all software, really garbage in, garbage out. Um, we do try to, um, when a document's being uploaded and we it's not readable and it doesn't make sense, uh, we do issue a warning, which we're trying to refine some more and like detecting what the document is. Like if it's a contractual document, if it's a geotechnical document, if it's a document relating to design, then we try to detect and uh, um, categorize them. So if it doesn't fit into a construction document uh, spe specification, then that would also be flagged up and it would be put into like an, an other category. That's what we're working on at the moment. Okay, so let's do now like a small experiment. Um, pretended I'm, I'm using Civil's AI. And I say, well, okay, I'm Christina Lago from Construction Management LTD, a tier one contractor. And I've just come across your tool. Are you seriously asking me to trust this thing when I've got 40 years of experience managing projects? Yeah, this is this is a big question. So, I mean, I would say like no no offense to you uh, personally, but like many in, on many construction projects, um, they run over budget and they're significantly delayed. In fact, like according to some studies, it's like 98% of projects in the UK uh, experience something, one of those two or both. So um, what we're trying to do is just like reduce the likelihood of that happening in a small way. So um, if that means helping you to find answers to your questions and use less um, engineering judgment and less guessing, if you don't have the time to make uh, to find the information and make the correct decision, we're trying to help in those uh, situations. Um, and yeah, you'd never know unless you give it a try. So. Sure. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if I ask you, is my project fully compliant with current building safety regulations will it identify that if there's a report saying that you're in compliance with the building regulations it will tell you that yeah it's uh, according to this report and this section and it will basically open the preview of that report and that page and show you where it's listed it um, it will answer that question but if you expect it to sort of interpret and uh, you, like use some engineering method or a contractual check to understand if you're compliant or not, it wouldn't be able to do that. It will tell you there's not enough information here for me to be, be sure. Okay, and if I ask you now, will it rain tomorrow? Will you answer that? <laughs> I mean, not even the uh, weather forecasters know the answer to that one. So uh, it will definitely not know the answer to that. Now, my last question is, are you going to take my job? 
Uh, no, not anytime soon. I and, and never, I would say. Uh, I think that the the nature of, I think the nature of work changes with time, and then this is just a tool that will be used in the future to make us more productive and get us away from doing the monotonous, boring parts of our job. And like, we'll still use the sides which are like creative and. Um, yeah, maybe we'll use like 10 AIs to, as like assistants to automate the different boring parts of our life and then we can have more fun. <laughs> That's great. Thank you very much, Nidhi Stefan. It was great talking to you and Civil's AI. You can learn more about Civil's AI and how construction is using artificial intelligence in constructionmanagement.co.uk. That's all from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Christina. And thanks, Stephen. I guess that's a fair point about the weather. Now, let's broaden the AI discussion out a bit. It took centre stage for the first time at this year's Digital Construction Summit, where our expert panel pushed the conversation in some unexpected directions. Here's Justin Stanton, joined by David Philp, FCIOB, Chief Value Officer at Cohesive Group and Chair of CIOB's Innovation Panel. With him is Murillo Piazzi, Digital Consultant at the BIM Academy, and May Winfield. Bureau Happold's Global Director of Commercial, Legal and Digital Risks. AI, construction's friend or foe? That's the question that we addressed in the opening webinar of this year's Digital Construction Summit, staged in the middle of September. Over nearly 90 minutes, our expert panel, drawn from across the construction supply chain, debated AI's potential both to benefit and to harm construction how we should engage with the technology, and the things to be wary of. The debate opened with David Philp, chair of the CIOB's Innovation Advisory Group, outlining the headline observations from the CIOB's forthcoming report into AI in construction. In particular, he noted that AI at the moment is a catch-all term. We're trying to look at it through the lens of several different options. Number one is why, you know, is there a very clear, you know, purpose and need for AI within our built environment? What value might it bring? And actually, what is it? I mean, so many different things to different people at this moment in time. AI can be, you know, a very broad church, you know, artificial narrow intelligence that, you know, represents all the existing AI, including the most complicated and capable AI. And what we found is, you know, it's that ability to perform a specific task autonomously and use human-like capabilities. And we're seeing huge use cases in that narrow AI piece. We're also starting to see the move in terms of artificial general intelligence, that ability for an AI agent to learn, perceive, understand, and start to function like a human being as well. Now, there's huge use cases, if you like, for all these within our built environment. Philp emphasised that AI is not a panacea. It's another stage on construction's information management journey where data is at the start and digital twins a waypoint. It all starts with good quality data and data science sitting at the heart of it. So thinking about the skills that are needed, if we are going to get the huge value of AI and indeed digital twinning, we'll have to start thinking about behaviours. We need to start thinking about organisational change management. What does this mean to an organisation in terms of how you make decisions? What does it mean to culture and behaviour as well? But we look at the news of late and we're seeing again, you know, huge you know, issues, especially with ageing infrastructure just now. And if you took, we're trying to drop something through the group in terms of just now, real world problem, 
of reinforced autoclave concrete. And, you know, if you look at that just now, it, you know, it generally it points to a failure of maintenance and not a product. And we've got that challenge, if you like, of retained estate. Now, imagine, if you will, how we harness AI and ML to improve our asset management, our inspection process to determine patterns of deterioration and move from something deterministic, if you like, waiting on something failing to actually a probabilistic asset. So you can imagine with data acquisition, you know, from, from more real-time condition surveys, we can analyze that big data, you know, from deep learning, machine learning, to actually determine patterns of failure very early on in an asset lifecycle deterioration. And we can start then to use artificial intelligence to determine the use cases and start to plan forward asset repair. So we're seeing a huge value proposition. Assuming you're ready to take your first steps with AI in your business, what are the top tips for implementation? Murilo Piazzi, digital consultant at BIM Academy, gave this answer. So first thing is defining clear objectives. Yes, the AI is a, a model that can learn and it's great. You know, it can infer a few things if you're not very clear. But if we're talking about how we can implement this effectively, then the most effective way of implementing AI is, yes, you need to define your objectives as clear as possible. The tip I like to give people is try to think of AI as a colleague that just started working in your company. So how would you train and how would you give a task to this colleague? Probably you wouldn't go to your colleague on day one and say, write me an essay on this. You know, you need to brief them. You need to tell them what you do, what your company does. This is how you make uh, your colleague or your colleague uh, work, work effectively with you, right? So tip two, try to use AI on tasks that you know uh, how to do, you know, on tasks that you know, essentially that you know what the output look like. Uh, again, uh, you know, needless to say that if you're testing uh, some tool, you want to have some reference to to evaluate whether the outputs that this tool is giving you are good or not. So kind of obvious, but people uh, tend to forget uh, about this when they're using AI because it's so great and can do so many things. And then third uh, tip is try to use it on tasks that are non-nuanced. So again, ethical considerations about AI. AI, it's great, it doesn't get tired, it, it, it doesn't find uh, things boring, but on the other hand, uh, it doesn't have eth ethical considerations. It doesn't know if, uh, if something will hurt someone or you know, it doesn't know uh, until we develop general AI. The AI hasn't got these uh, capabilities, so we need to use it on things that are on, on tasks that are going to be performed well by the AI and leave these things that uh, currently just humans uh, do well to ourselves. So, you know, non-nuanced non tasks is, are the tasks where AI will perform better. So far, so positive. But, caveat emptor, any debate about AI needs to encompass the contractual and legal frameworks that govern construction. Who better to highlight the mistakes to avoid than Bureau Hapold's Global Director of Commercial, Legal and Digital Risks, May Winfield. She offered this first warning. I think one of the things to remember is, like BIM, Digital Twins, any tech, you shouldn't 
be worried about the legal issues, but ignoring them means you're going to spend a lot of time and money arguing about them later on. May noted the three key concerns of confidentiality, copyright and reliability. Focusing on the latter, she detailed a case of blindly taking AI output at face value. There's issues of hallucinations, which means where the AI completely makes something up. Even lawyers aren't immune from relying blindly on technology. There was a case in the US where a lawyer put in about three or five mentions of cases, judges, uh, quotes from it. And the judge said, I have never heard of these cases. They're completely fictional. And what the lawyer had done is written on ChatGPT, give me five cases about this legal principle. Apparently, when they went back to ChatGPT and said, why did you lie to us? ChatGPT said, I'm really sorry, I'm still learning. That doesn't help. Saying the AI got it wrong is like saying the dog ate my homework. You can't blame the tool. You still have to check it. To listen to the debate in full, and you really should, go to digitalconstructionsummit.co.uk where you can register to watch the webinar on demand. If you want to keep up with this topic, the CIOB is holding an online conference on the 14th of December about AI and the future of construction. Dave Philp will present the findings from his special report on AI, and you can register by heading over to the CIOB's events page. While Justin's here, let's do the jargon buster. Welcome to 21cc's Jargon Buster. I'm Justin Stanton, editor of BIM Plus, and each month 21cc tackles an acronym or bit of industry slang related to construction and its modernisation. This month we're tackling optioneering. In literal terms, optioneering is a portmanteau word combining option and engineering. It's less offensive on the tongue and the ear than the management consultant buzzword of a decade or so ago, Imagineering. To an extent, construction and many other industries have always used a form of optioneering. That is, using relevant details to inform a review of the different approaches available to tackle a piece of work. For example, planning the construction schedule for a project with a bias or biases towards cost, time, safety, whole life operation, etc. With the explosion of AI, this crucial task can be undertaken more swiftly and with arguably greater accuracy than traditional manual techniques. Earlier this year, Morgan Hayes, Senior Vice President Product at Alice Technologies, told me, traditionally planners have used their industry experience and benchmark information to create a schedule and approach that ensures that their project will meet time, materials, labour and cost requirements. Planners have traditionally used tools such as Microsoft Project, Oracle P6 or even Microsoft Excel to create the best bet plan. Given the time and effort required to create schedules using such tools, contractors have typically had little latitude to test different possible ways to build a project and have been forced to develop a single plan. Now through the power of AI and a construction optioneering led approach, the industry can rethink the way it schedules its projects and move away from manual processes. At Alice Technologies, we believe this represents the beginning of a new era of construction planning. Now, construction work planned to much greater detail via optioneering can, of course, lead to reduced waste and improved efficiencies. 
An optioneering can be used throughout the construction phase to investigate alternative approaches in the advent of delays. What happens if we add another crane or X number more excavators to catch up? Can we get back on schedule? And if so, what are the cost and manpower impacts? If there's a bit of industry jargon or an acronym that you'd like 21cc to tackle, drop us a line at 21cc at atompublishing.co.uk. Thanks, Justin. Now, cancer affects a lot of people. To help us understand what it's like living and working with long-term illness, CIOB People's Nadine Badu caught up with one surveyor who kept working and studying after her diagnosis. Thank you, Rod. Now, according to Cancer Research UK, around one in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. As medical treatments improve over time, it is likely to become increasingly common to have members of the workforce with long-term health conditions. To mark Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I had the honour of speaking with Jeannie Ambrose, who is living with metastatic breast cancer, also known as stage 4 cancer. Jeannie recently made the difficult decision to leave her much-loved role as a building control surveyor to take early medical retirement. She spoke to me candidly about the challenges and advantages of continuing her career following her diagnosis while also embarking on CIOB's professional development programme. Jeannie, welcome to the podcast. Now, this is obviously a very sensitive subject, so thank you so much for being open to sharing your experience with us. Uh, Firstly, when were you first diagnosed and how did that impact your career and professional development? My diagnosis was, you know, quite harsh. I was diagnosed de novo, so that means that straight away I was diagnosed with secondary breast cancer. So I had tumours in both breasts and it's already spread to my bones. The average life expectancy is three to five years and I'm now four years into that. I was diagnosed in May 2019. I had just begun the CIOB um, professional development programme, PDP. So actually that kind of went out the window. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of as much as I could do to focus on home and focus on work. I'd come in on the graduate programme, so which meant I needed to have three years of working within that role before I could qualify, you know, alongside completing all the modules of the programme. And it actually took me four years to complete. So I completed it this year. Um, I was determined that I was going to complete it before I left. There was no way. There was no way I was going to do all that work um, and not complete it. I, I, you know, I wanted that ceremony. I wanted those gowns. CIOB were incredibly supportive. East Cam's District Council is the local authority that I worked. And along with CIOB, they were both incredibly supportive. And at no point did they ever treat me like a cancer patient. So on a practical level, how did your diagnosis impact your day-to-day working life? I would have regular scans um, and appointments. My treatment, which has worked really, really well um, so far, is a drug-based treatment. So I didn't have to go in and have any IV chemo or I didn't have to have any radiotherapy. Because my cancer had already spread, it was about keeping it under control. Um, and so we, we didn't go down the road of removing it because it, it 
that ship's already sailed. I would probably start work a little bit earlier and finish off a little bit earlier because later on in the day, I'd start to get a bit more tired. I mean, it's a devastating, absolutely devastating thing to be told. I think you, or I always say you, I never mean that. I'm always really, really aware that I don't want to speak for other people. I I just speak from my own experience, how how I found it. And I think I... I didn't want to look too far ahead. I didn't want to think about that. I think it definitely draws, it drew me back into the here and now. And at the time, there was absolutely no question in stopping work. My husband was working, my children were at college. And I think I just wanted to keep everything as normal as possible for me and for them so that life carried on. Although we had this massive, massive thing to carry, life carried on relatively normally um, from an outside point of view and from a routine point of view. Um, and actually, that really helped. That In the beginning, that really, really helped me to, to have something else to focus on, concentrate on work and family. And, and that's how it went. That's how it went for those first sort of year until I became more tired and thought right I just need to drop a day really. Now you've already touched on how incredible your employer has been so for other employers out there what advice would you give them in terms of really supporting their employees if they were facing a similar situation following a cancer diagnosis or any other long-term illness for that matter? I think it's very easy when you hear the words stage four cancer incurable cancer that you automatically visualize Um, a cancer patient who's very very ill and you know perhaps can't function very well Um, whereas actually um, many of us are functioning really well Um, many of us are actually living longer than the three to five years Um, you know we have advances in in medication all the time and I think it's just about making sure that you give your employee that just that flexibility um you know so that you don't have the extra pressure and extra worry of oh I've got hospital today or I've got an appointment or you know we we don't want to be at hospital we don't want to be there having an appointment so I think that you know if employers are just understanding of the situation I think you'll find that you know stage four patients who want to work they want to work you know if they want to be at work they you know we we want to carry on as normal we want to still have fulfilling lives and fulfilling careers and there's such a a huge amount of skills that would be lost um if you were to you know walk away from that person there's definitely still things that that person can bring to the table and and also I, i sort of think you know, even more so as well, because we've suddenly got a whole different perspective on on life. There's, there's definitely still so much for an employer to gain from, you know, supporting a cancer patient of any stage. Jeannie, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. You're an absolute inspiration. To read more on Jeannie's story, please go to ciobpeople.com. Thanks, Nadine. And thanks, Jeannie. You are an inspiration. That's all we have time for this month. 
We hope you found it interesting. If you like the podcast, tell others by rating it wherever you found it. Give us a mention on social media with the hashtag 21ccpodcast. Email us on 21cc at atompublishing.co.uk. Thanks for listening.